So I don't know if any of you are tea drinkers, but um, uh, it's fascinating when you take tea and you, so you've got that really scalding warm, you know, cup that's ready to go. And then you take that tea bag and you dip it in. And when you do it appropriately, what happens is quite a magical thing that happens, right? This, this transformation that happens. And uh, I'm guessing though, for, for those of us who've experienced that in our own lives, that um, you know that you can't just take that tea, um, that tea bag and you can't just drop it in the hot water and then pull it out very quickly and expect that something special has happened. In fact, if you just do that, you're going to end up with just, you know, basically flavored water just a little bit. But some of you that are tea drinkers, I know because you came up, some came up after the first service and you know the art of making tea. Uh, and, and that process for some is that the water has to be hot. Um, also, you know the skill that it takes to take that tea bag and to wedge it with your spoon or your thumb against the side. Um, some of you, afterwards, somebody brought up, I mentioned that my mom used to have that, that tool that was designed to squeeze every ounce of flavor out of the tea bag. Some of you know what I mean. Uh, or you know that that string that's attached to the tea bag is actually designed for you to wrap it around to be able to get every ounce of flavor out of that process today is going to show up in what we see in God's word when the apostle Paul talks about pressing into his faith. He's going to talk about pressing into his faith with everything that he has. And I think for some of us, if we're honest, when it comes to our day in and day out faith, maybe we've allowed ourselves to keep Sunday morning as the time that we spiritually dip into the water and dip back out. And then we found ourselves consistently discouraged, frustrated, life's overwhelming. We're wondering where the voice of God is in our life. And the Apostle Paul, in the twilight of his life, as he's chained to a Roman, prison, Roman guard, uh, sitting in Rome, not sure what the next week is going to look like in his life as he penned the words to the church in Philippi. He's going to use this language of pressing on. And, and I want us to notice as we see this that, that when God talks about him changing our lives, he talks about it in the, the, from the perspective of us abiding. So he says, when you're weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains in me will bear much fruit, and apart from me, you will accomplish what? Nothing. The, the idea that God wants to do a work inside of each and every one of us is something that I wanna remind you this morning. Then the Apostle Paul, as we study these verses in Philippians chapter three, he's gonna remind us that it's not that helpful for us to look back. It's not that helpful for us to live in the glory days of our faith before or for us to keep in front of us the pain and failures in our faith in the past. But instead, what he's gonna say in God's word today is he's gonna say, my focus is to press into my faith in such a way that it produces something uh, tangible in my life, even towards the end of his life. And as I studied this this week, I, I couldn't help but think that Paul has decided in the last days of his life that he is full throttle, pressing in, not giving up, not looking back. He is completely all in for the sake of the gospel. And I believe that it gives us a hint as to how a person in a time of great suffering and challenge 
can still find great joy. And so it's why we talk about laughing again in this series in the book of Philippians, but it's also helpful for us to understand when Paul penned these words, catch this in Philippians chapter three, beginning in verse 12, these words that are so encouraging and helpful to me says this, not that I have already obtained all this or am already perfect. Paul understood something that is essential for us to grow in our faith and that is he realized that he hadn't arrived yet. He had work, um, work to do. There was room to grow. And in God's infinite wisdom, while our faith grows through abiding and connecting with Christ, the Apostle Paul is going to model for us also the responsibility that you and I have to not say that this is just for one hour of my life on a Sunday morning, but this is my lifestyle. He says this, not that I've already obtained all this or I am already perfect uh, in other words, I, I haven't made it to heaven yet. I'm not graduated yet. But I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul is telling us in his own evaluation of his spiritual progress that he's saying, I haven't arrived yet. I have more work to do. A man who on his resume had as good of a resume probably as a Christ follower at this point as any other person in history, he's still saying, I have room to grow. I have work to do. I, uh, I feel that way as a parent. I love Calvin and Hobbes, and I love when Calvin gives his dad a, uh, a grade on his parenting skills. You guys seen this before? He's, uh, Calvin, Calvin is a little harsh to his dad, but um, in our own personal progress report when it comes to our spiritual faith, I want to ask you this morning to give some consideration to that. If there was a chart, and if you were looking back over your life, I'm guessing that you could look back and you could reference some peaks and valleys, some spiritual times where it felt like things were going great. There's also probably for some of us some times where we look back and we say, this is challenging. And I want to remind you this morning that that's in probably every relationship you've ever had in your life, right? That, that we don't stay the same in relationship. They're either getting better or they're getting worse. I love to kayak. I love being on a river that's flowing. And what you notice when you kayak is that you're never staying in exactly the same place, even when you're rowing against the current. Um, that, that's the, how it works with our relationships. And with our relationship with the Lord, the Apostle Paul is going to say to us, he's going to share with us a hint as to how he's been successful in his relationship with God, and that is with every ounce of his being, at every stage of his life, he's decided to press forward and to invest in his relationship in a way that changes everything. And I think it begins, let me just give you some space to grow in this area. It begins with a gentle recognition that you and I are still under construction that we're still a work in progress. The, earlier in Philippians, it said, be confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. God is doing something in our life. And uh, I love uh, Ruth Graham, the wife of, late wife of Billy Graham. She, um, she said this, she saw a sign next to the road saying, end of construction, 
Thank you for your patience. And uh, she reflected on that and the significance of those words. And she told her family she'd like to have them written on her gravestone. I love that. Thank you for your patience. End of construction. You and I are a work in progress. We are not perfectionists. None of us claim to be perfect in our faith. We recognize that there's peaks and valleys. And, and I want to encourage you, if you go back to that chart, if we could look at our lives, the goal that we have as Christ followers that, are, are, that, that we see less dips in our relationship with Christ and what we see forward, onward progress in our faith. And the only way we can do that is what the Apostle Paul teaches us to do today in his word, and that is to keep forward-looking, pressing into what God is doing in and through us, looking ahead. So we, we pursue, first point this morning, flowing out of God's word, is we pursue progress. We don't pursue perfection. Growth in our relationship with Jesus requires recognition that we have room to go, grow. I think the Apostle Paul models for us a man who had had great achievements in his faith, the desire to still learn, to be teachable, to submit to the hand of God. He says it to us in verse 12 and verse 13, and he writes these words, not that I have already obtained all this, or I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. The Apostle Paul decided that some moment in his life that he himself still was going to be a perpetual work in progress. I, some of the most influential people in my life have been seminary professors and teachers and college Bible professors. And one of the things that I found as an attribute over and over and over again is that they would talk about how much they need to grow in their relationship with Christ or their wisdom and knowledge of God's word. And they were vulnerable about that. And I remember, frankly, thinking, you have forgotten more about God's word than I'll ever learn in my lifetime. You're, you understand this truth. But there was a moment that clicked for me that many of those individuals, men and women, who'd committed themselves to studying God's word accurately and teaching it well, is that what they were modeling is a lifetime learner mindset. I'm going to keep growing. I'm going to keep pursuing. There's so much room for me to grow. And, and we hear this in Paul's language. He's admitting that he's a work in progress. He's not trying to fake anyone about the state of his relationship with Christ. It's kind of easy to try to, to fake people, but it's really hard to be successful at it. Uh, I love the guy who thought that he had arrived. He had been promoted to be a colonel. And he was sitting in his office when someone knocked at the door and they said, this is Private Johnson. May I come in to see you, sir? And the newly appointed colonel says, just a minute. And he's, um, he said, uh, wanting to look a little more impressive than he actually was, he picked up his telephone and he said very loud so, so Private Johnson could hear, yes, Mr. President. I understand, Mr. President. We will take care of it right away, Mr. President. But obviously, he wasn't talking to anyone on the phone um, because his phone hadn't been hooked up yet. <laughs> the man who came in said this to him. He says, the private comes in, and he says, all right, finally comes in. He says, the private came in, and the colonel barked at him, and he talked quickly because he had um, the president on the other line. He says, I can, what can I do for you? Well, the private said, I just came in to connect your telephone. 
I, I, I love, I love that, that idea. And I'm just going to be vulnerable with you. I think part of the role of a pastor uh, often is to, to show spiritual progress. What's God teaching me? What is he, what is he showing to me? And, and I admit that there have been times in my life where um, I look back on them and I see victories or things that God had done in my past. And I think that there's a natural temptation to want to say, I want to go back to that. I, I want to remember that. I, I can remember very specifically a time when I was in high school with some peers of mine. We loved our Christian camp time, our time at Camp Mac. And, and my, my friends and I at uh, the public school that I went to lunch, a couple Christian friends from youth group, we, we could tell you at any given time uh, how many days it was until summer camp was. And uh, it was kind of goofy, right? Because we could say like 112 days until we go back to Camp Mac. That was the camp that we went to. And, and I remember having a moment for me when I recognized, like I'm, I'm trying to press into something that happened in my past and hoping to reclaim something that was valuable. And, and there was a moment for me when I recognized, you know what? I think God's ready to do something new in my life, a new experience. It doesn't mean that camp can't be helpful or valuable or meaningful. But what it meant for me is that the things that I experienced there were things that I can implement in my life day in and day out. And so what we recognize here is that Paul was a man who was pursuing progress, not perfection. He says, I haven't claimed these things. I haven't experienced these things in my life. I like the way that um, Gerald Hawthorne puts it. He says, knowledge begins when you admit that you don't know it all. Wisdom is, wisdom is the beginning of knowledge, and it's helpful to understand and to understand the incomprehensible greatness of Christ by recognizing an, a lifetime of arduous inquiry. In other words, we're just asking the hard questions. We're pursuing them. We want to invest in a relationship, and that's any relationship that you're pursuing. Paul says, not that I've obtained all this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own um, because of the fact that Christ Jesus has made me his own. The language there is of adoption. Paul is taking personal responsibility to press into and develop and pursue his relationship with Christ. We press on, second point this morning, coming out of verse 13, was we press on by leaving the past in the past. Um, the way Paul says it, but the one thing I do, the essential thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I think that this is the secret in many ways to what the Apostle Paul had learned in his walk with the Lord at this stage. I think for many people, when I've had the privilege of sitting down with them and talking about their faith, um, they recognize some glitches in their past that they regret, things that they're ashamed of, fears that they've had. Maybe it was a, an abortion that had happened at a time period in their life that they look back with regret. Maybe it was a decision, maybe a previous marriage, an, a, an experience that cut into something that they would say, if these people around me only knew, then they would want to have nothing to do with me. What is incredible about these words that we're reading from the Apostle Paul is the Apostle Paul had on his record uh, a, being a persecutor of the church. Stephen, the first martyr 
that we know of, that, that the Apostle Paul was a part of that, that at one point he persecuted God and his believers. And so it could have been for the Apostle Paul, when he says, forgetting what is behind, that he's not only thinking about the victories and the successes in his walk with Christ, but he's also remembering the things that he's ashamed of. He's remembering the things that were the source of great pain. And for some of us, we use that mindset. We allow Satan to speak to us in such a way that he says, you're disqualified. You're done. There's nothing left for you to give. You are unredeemable. There's nothing that can be saved in you. There's nothing that's worth salvaging. And I just want to share with you, friend, this morning that that's a lie. <laughs> Here the man who God was going to use in such substantial ways in Philippi and Rome and all of that ancient world, it's going to be a man who's got a past, right? And God's going to choose to use that past actually to fuel him and to motivate him to be able to share the truth of the gospel. And so when he says, forgetting what is in the past I think he's recognizing something that God has already done. You know what God's word tells us is that as far as the east is from the west, if we've accepted forgiveness from the Lord Jesus Christ, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That, that the Lord has chosen to do something new within us, what we are becoming is our focus, not what we were. <laughs> when I was in college, I, um, I was pretty poor and I did like to drink tea at the time. I hadn't made the progress to drinking coffee now, like I am now, but uh, I love tea. And there was one restaurant that I had purchased a container of tea and it lasted me like six months. Uh, I'd go back and use their hot water and make the tea. And I admit uh, that sometimes I would take that tea bag, I'd put it in the cup, I'd let it sit for a while and then I'd pop it back out and I'd put it in a napkin and then I'd bring it back again. Isn't that nasty? Uh, talk about weak tea in the process, right? I, I think for some of us, our past and things that have been used up, it's an old tired story, is something that we're holding on to. And in fact, that can actually be our successes and victories as well. I think for some of us in our past, we can remember a time of spiritual zeal or intimacy with the Lord and hearing his voice in a particular way. And we want to reclaim that in the same way. And I think in Paul's language of maturity and growing up and development is he's really saying to us, we just don't look back. We don't stress over looking back, but instead we forget what lies behind and we press on. We strain forward to what is ahead for us. And I think that there's a powerful, beautiful message in that, that our past successes and our failures can ultimately limit our progress. So we press on by leaving the past in the past. The term here that the Apostle Paul is using is a Greek athletic term that means eat my dust. Just kidding. Um, no, it's, a, it's a Greek term that was an athletic term, and it means don't look back. Don't, don't be distracted. Don't, in the midst of the process, forget the progress that's been gained. And to, as Jesus taught us, a person who is fit for the plow is one who doesn't look back. And I, I want to recognize this. Some of you are familiar with the, the amazing event that happened on August 7th, 1954. It was 
called the race of the century. It happened in Vancouver, Canada, between the only two men at that time in history that had completed an other under four-minute mile. And um, one of them was the British runner, Roger Bannister, uh, who would later become uh, Sir Roger Bannister, minister of the Oxford College, master of Oxford College, and a medical doctor. But Roger Bannister would race against Australian John Landy. And um, you can still you Google or YouTube the, the video of this. It's kind of grainy, the footage. You can hear the announcers just speak. This, this was the event of the century. It was an amazing race. They both had a grueling plan and preparation. And they model for us a theme that we're going to see that the Apostle Paul shows us in his life. And that is when they got to the end of that race, they left everything on that track that day when they ran. But, but what we also know about that story is that, and it's actually been immortalized in movies and uh, there's a bronze statue of it, is that there was a moment when, uh, when the one runner was ahead. He was a red ahead substantially, John Landy. And uh, it looked like he was going to win by some 10 strides uh, to win this race. And you can just watch it as the announcers. It's pretty obvious he's going to finish. And they said that that, that day was so loud. The, the crowd was cheering so loud that, that for one moment, um, Landy decided that he, he wanted to see where his competition was. And this, this photograph captures it. It was in Time Life and Newsweek and others. This one moment when he turns back and when he does so, his competitor passes him on the outside, wins, Bannister wins by some five lengths. And uh, the reason why we catch this moment in history is like it was that moment when he looked back that he really lost the race. I think for some of us in our walk with the Lord, whether it's past victories, whether it's past success, whether it's past failures, it's looking back, maybe even at the things that disappoint us about our life, that leave us in a position where we find ourselves paralyzed. The God that you and I worship, church, is a God that understands our future, and he desires for us to live our life to the fullest. So maybe you're like the person who has something in your past that you regret and you wish that you could erase from your record. Um, you guys know the whole two truths and a lie thing that you do sometimes when you meet a group of people. I was at an event with some uh, pastors and friends uh, at a small group in, at our church in California, and we were playing the two truths and a lie game, and one of my fellow pastors, or missions pastor, had listed one of his truths and a lie, uh, was that he was a convicted felon. And uh, the group that we were with, we were all like, ha ha, that's funny. Um, and it turned out that that was his truth. That uh, at the, another chapter in his life, so when I knew him, he was our missions pastor, PhD, really gifted man, uh, loved the Lord, awesome family guy. And he shared with us that at another chapter in his life, he had been a drug dealer and was a convicted felon. And as I'm listening to it, I just find myself saying that the God that you and I worship, he's just a God of redemption, right? He can take any story and he can use it for his glory. He can take the story of a, a Christian killer, uh, the Apostle Paul, and he can use him to be an ambassador for truth. It's not just our past victories or our past failures that he's speaking about here. He's talking about forgetting what is behind. The way the Apostle Paul puts it, he says, but the one thing I do, 
forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. You guys know this truth, but when you get in your car and drive home today, there's going to be a giant windshield um, and there is going to be a small rear view mirror. And I think that's a good reminder to us. The rear view mirror is helpful. Sometimes it's, it's meaningful for us to know what's going on behind us. Um, but we uh, recognize the fact that what's ahead is what is essential for us. And so, so we, we want to keep in front of us what God wants us to keep in front of us. And I think verse uh, 14 is going to remind us that we need to keep the appropriate right goals in front of us that God desires for us. So uh, we know that goals matter. In fact, the word goal is going to show up in Greek here. Paul says this in verse 14. He says, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The the, the, the image that he presents here is one of an award ceremony. The, the goal is something that is not just that finish line, but the events that happen after it. That the Apostle Paul, at a very meaningful time in his life, is standing back and he's, he's sharing us a hint as to how did he finish so well when so many people don't finish well in their relationship with Christ. And that is, he just still felt like he had more work to do. He felt like there was something worth pressing into. There was more responsibility that the Lord had for him. And I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, that the Lord has more work for you to do as well. Here, what we see is the Apostle Paul is pressing into the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The perfection, the victory, the no longer struggling with sin. Um, the, the things that he had invested his life in where there would be fruit and blessings that come over that for, come, come from that for eternity. So, so I celebrate the fact that someday there will be a day when this grueling race will be over. Keeping that perspective in mind helped fuel the Apostle Paul's victory uh, finishing well. For each of us, that's a challenge and a blessing for us to keep in front of us. Um, you've probably heard of Baylor University. They have a pretty good football team these days in uh, Waco, Texas. Some of you may know the, the story that um, that university, when it was founded, it was founded by a Christian man who had donated a large portion of his substantial uh, financial uh, resources to help purchase the land uh, that would ultimately be the, the place that they built the university on. And over time, his fortunes turned and he lost his wealth, almost everything, his personal property. And uh, a, a, an interviewer late in his life um, met with him and said some version of, don't you wish that you had kept that money? Um, don't you wish that you had back all that you had put into that school? And his response is meaningful to me. He replied, not at all. If I'd kept that money, I would have lost it too. I think that it's good for us to consider when the Apostle Paul lived his life, he had a long-term eternal perspective on the way he would choose to invest his time and energy, um, his joy and his care for other people. And, and, and as he approached the end of that race, um, he would, like you see and often in foot races, the last few strides would be the things that would be the, the most pressing time, the most energy, the most uh, intentionality about how the race is run. And I think that what we see from the Apostle Paul is 
this truth that he's so near the goal that he can't help but running with all of his might. I think it's valuable for us to understand the fact that that's what the Lord desires of us, that he allows us to contribute to the growth of our faith, and it begins with us recognizing the fact that we have room to grow. It, it is established on the fact that we stop looking backward, focusing on where we've been, maybe even on the disappointments that are associated with it that can serve as an anchor to us in our forward progress. It is valuable for us to keep the right target in mind. And this last point, I'll spend very, uh, a very short amount of time on this, but I want you to just catch that this is a community thing. This is something that happens together. There's a, there's a home court advantage that happens when we do life together, that we experience the blessing of community and share our burdens and pain and struggle together. And I think the reason why the Apostle Paul was writing this letter originally was that he valued the church in Philippi. He knew those people by name and he wanted them to be successful in their faith. And I want you to just notice in this last section, he says, these, these terms that are very helpful for us. And the, the fourth point being when, when um, we go forward in faith together. I want you to see in verse 15 and 16, the us and the we and the, um, the plural description of what's happening with them. He says this. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. I think it's helpful for us to understand that teachability and humility are essential to our growth in our relationship with Christ, and so is Christian community. I think that, that the, the act of vulnerability in front of others and sharing our story and experiencing life together and being able to collaborate is really what the Lord desires of us. And so the us portion of this, it's just more fun when we get to experience it together. The, the, the community that God has placed us in is something more than just um, uh, something that we relate to because of our common ground or common interests, but we share a common goal. This is a team race. This is one that we combine together and generally build strength with one another instead of isolated from one another. As Benjamin Franklin said at the signing of the Declaration of Independence, we must all hang together, or assuredly, we will hang separately. You know what he meant by that. I think for us, when we look at this responsibility that the Lord's given us, and also the privilege that he desires for you and I to be people who keep the same goal in mind, that we press together towards that goal, and for, for those of us who are tempted to retreat, I want to just remind you that the way we finish that goal well is by not looking back to the left or to the right, not spending so much time in our past that when we do that, it allows us to trip ourselves up and miss out on the blessing of finishing well. What's also beautiful about it, and I want to close with this, is that we get to also watch the lives of people who've gone before us who have finished well. The Apostle Paul modeling joy at the end of his life is such a gift to us. And that's something that you and I can experience as well if we choose to do what he chose to do. And that was to saturate his life with Christ. I started with that image of the tea bag and the hot water. And I just want to challenge you this morning 
that for some of us as we think through these truths, that we may be like the person who dips that, that, that teabag in and pulls it out and then saves it for the next week and it's, it's not working for us. Something's not changing inside of us. And I think that what the Lord is asking each one of us to do is to do what the Apostle Paul modeled for us today. And that is to press in to our faith, to surround ourselves with others that are doing that same thing, to keep the mission in front of us, to press into it diligently and deliberately, not stress so much about past victories or past failures, but to be able to strive with everything that we have. You can picture it, the Olympian, the Olympic athletes striving towards the tape or the finish line with everything that they have, that that's what God's given you and I the invitation to participate in. And we really truly believe through the model of those who've gone before us that it's completely worth it. When we do that, we can experience uncharacteristic joy. We can experience his peace that surpasses understanding and we can continue to grow into the men and women that God has called us to be. So I'm asking you a simple question. What are you pressing into in your life right now? What are you surrounding yourself with? How are you experiencing today's struggles? Are you under your circumstances or are you over them? This should be modeled for us or this should be evidenced in us by the joy that we have in our life. Let's pray together. Lord, would you reveal to us what you're asking us to press into? Would you reveal to us the things you want us to be aware of from our past, but that you're asking to do a new thing in our lives? I, I admit that for me, this, this sermon this morning has been meaningful because I believe what you're asking me to do is to be a part of the next chapter of the story of my faith. The next chapter that requires me to get out of the, the boat of comfort and peace and to say, Lord, I want to trust you and what you're doing next. I don't want my stories and my experiences to be from uh, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I want you to continue to do a new work. And I believe the price of admission to be able to do that is to be willing to obey you every step of the way, every moment by moment. I pray for my other brothers and sisters in the room, those who are joining us online, that that are, are thinking about their life and they're thinking that it's, um, it's not what they expected. It hasn't been their experience that they planned on. And I, I wanna just pray for them, Lord, that you would comfort them and that you would also remind them that you have more work for them to do. You are uh, sovereign, you're good, you're faithful, you know our needs more than what we do. Lord, I pray for each and every person here that your voice would be prominent in their life, that you'd remind them of your loving kindness and that you who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. I also pray as we turn our hearts to uh, giving of our tithes and offerings, Lord, that you would allow us to do this not grudgingly or out of necessity or even a sense of responsibility, but... Um, as a form of worship, just as we'll sing these songs to close out our time, that, uh, Lord, you're worthy of our praise. This is an act of worship. This isn't um, something that we're forced to do, but instead it's a part of our joy. We thank you and praise you for this. We pray that you would receive these uh, offerings in a manner that's worthy of you. In Jesus' precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen.